Welcome to Luxury On Air, where we explore the trends, innovations, and personalities defining and redefining the luxury industry. Hello and welcome to the first episode from the Luxury On Air podcast series in 2022. Today, I'm excited to have Rob Kozinets with me. He is a professor of strategic public relations and business communication at the University of Southern California. He's an expert on social media, entertainment marketing, influencer marketing, and popular culture. Together with him, we are going to decipher some recent pop culture phenomena in the luxury world. A warm welcome to Los Angeles, Rob. Thank you very much, Feli. Happy to be here. Rob, you have done a lot of work on fantasy characters, science fiction, pop culture, mm -hmm. as I just mentioned, um, and their mm -hmm. meaning for today's consumer culture. But personally, which one is your favorite fantasy character? That's uh, an interesting place to start this interview. So, um, you know, I've, my, my fandom goes way back and it's pretty deep. So I found this a very hard question to answer, uh, to be honest. But if I have to pick one for today, I'm going to pick the Silver Surfer. He's a character who debuted in the Fantastic Four comic book series by Stan Lee and uh, Jack Kirby um, in, <laughs> in issue number 48, to be specific. He's trying to understand humans and humanity. So he's very much like, a, like an anthropologist from another world. Who's, he sees the world through his own alien eyes, and you get to sort of you know, see how strange human culture is. You know, I liked him uh, as a kid because... It's it's kind of a very sort of spiritual, mystical, anthropological uh, character in mass culture, and you can sort of tell from the way I'm I'm describing this that there's a lot of links to other kinds of of culture there, right? Culture that we would traditionally call high culture, like Shakespeare or the Bible or mythology and myth and legend, and that's something that I think runs through a lot of my work. Uh, that's super interesting. So there is a lot of story behind why you fell for one character and not for another one. You said mm. uh, you liked also the character because uh, he has kind of this anthropologist view or his alien view. It's kind of characters you you see reminiscence into high culture. And that's right. what was my first reaction was when I saw uh, luxury fusing with pop culture mm -hmm. that we normally don't think about uh, Netflix series or gaming or fantasy characters when we think of luxury, but more about highbrow culture such as classical art, music, and theater. So mm -hmm. what does pop culture hold for you for the luxury industry? Aren't these two an unlikely couple? Yeah, you know, it seems that way from the surface, but I don't think so, actually. So, you know, what is popular culture and what is, you know, elite culture, right? So for a long time, I think, when, like when I started in this field of studying pop culture, it was still fairly marginal. You know, people like, um, you know, like, like Henry Jenkins in, uh, in cultural studies were studying pop culture and his... You know, his mentor, John Fisk, was one of the you know key people in the communications field that started. But overall, I think people thought that, you know, what the masses liked, what they enjoyed was junk, right? Like Pulp Fiction. You know, Quentin Tarantino mm -hmm. has built a career out of sort of upending uh, this idea mm -hmm. that what was crap when we grew up is now high culture and high art, right? You know, <laughs> but what the elites like, you know, Mozart and and opera and ballet, that's good, right? That's really, that's culture. 
and everything else is is junk. It's crap, you know. But it's it's actually kind of funny because when you look at the history, Shakespeare wasn't just for the elites. Mozart was. Mozart was a was a court composer, but Shakespeare composed plays that were enjoyed by the middle classes, even the lower mm-hmm. middle classes. He wasn't he wasn't a lower class base sort of thing. But you know, everyone would have would have understood Shakespeare. They just didn't didn't have access to him. But so. You know, this notion that what the rich people enjoy and what the queen and the the court enjoys is high culture and the stuff that, you know, people uh, uh, enjoy and, you know, read at home and 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 listen to, you know, then first it was radio and then it was television. So things have changed a lot since Shakespeare and Mozart. Right. We have something called mass culture. So in the 50s and particularly the 1960s, when when mass production, mass communication and I should say, you know, mass advertising all came together, things really started started to change. Right. Um, What was entertainment for the masses uh, became popular culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll I'll quote from from uh, Henry again, Henry Jenkins uh, in cultural studies. uh, The way he differentiates things is this way. He says, you know, mass culture is culture, which is mass produced and mass distributed and mass consumed. But that mass culture provides the raw material, like the, mm-hmm. the you know, the basic ingredients from which a popular culture is formed. And on an everyday level, things become popular culture when they become reference points in our conversations. They become popular culture when they become intellectual and emotional and psychic resources. And we take them up and use them to make sense of our, ourselves, of our own identity and of the world around us. So really, this mass culture, not all of it becomes pop culture, right? A lot of stuff is thrown out there. But, you know, once in a while, I'm thinking of the Rocky Horror Picture Show when I was when I was growing up, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show was was a big thing for people to understand, uh, you know, the relationship between between horror and pop culture and sexuality and gender and the fluidity of gender. You know, think about, you know, uh, the fluidity of gender right now, Um, you know, Rocky Horror celebrated that whatever it was, 40 years or more years ago. And so then you had, you know, mass production and mass communication. And you also had people who were noticing that that popular culture was relevant. So sort of the Quentin Tarantinos of their day. So guys like Richard Hamilton, who's largely credited with starting the pop art movement, who had installation pieces, which basically resembled people's living rooms, you know, cluttered with stuff. Then you had Roy Lichtenstein taking, you know, literal comic book panels and turning them into artworks. You had Andy Warhol displaying soup packages originally as art and then painting uh, uh, soup cans uh, and other forms of popular uh, 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 culture that were out there that meant something to, to people. So it really became um, a question of relevance. Can we take things that are relevant to a lot of people that people are enjoying and elevate them to the level of art or artistry? Right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's that's really what what um, uh, popular culture is about. So mm-hmm. after the pop art movement, uh, you know, mass culture became in some ways legitimized for recycling. And now look where we are. Right. Look at where we are now. We're in, we're in a world where Disney and Marvel dominate. The box office. Spider-Man just broke a billion dollars during COVID, during a COVID surge around the world, right? Um, so I'm talking about Spider-Man No Way Home, if this becomes a, mm-hmm. a, 
a historical recording. Um, so uh, it's about relevance. We're now in a world where the differences between high culture and and you know previous low culture have really become indistinguishable. Uh, and what we're in is a world of mass culture becoming some of it becoming popular culture when it becomes picked up and relevant to people's worlds in their their way that they make sense of their own lives and mm -hmm. uh, the world and their place in it oh what i get out of this and w which very much relates to the world of luxury is actually um what you just mentioned trying to make meaning of our own lives through culture through art through artistic expressions that's something that the luxury industry has yeah. been doing for a long time exactly. associating themselves with art the relevance identifying your identity so yeah here i see uh, the the idea behind that luxury brands are now associating themselves even more with also popular culture maybe we can uh, have a look at a couple of concrete examples mm -hmm. because maybe some of our list listeners might not sure. have a, a clear idea um mm -hmm. i was just uh, coming across this um uh, this uh, limited edition tourbillon timepiece that was uh, issued last year by uh, watchmaker Audemars Piguet mm. was related to the Black Panther character from the Marvel Entertainment. Right. So, but I asked my first reaction was, what does a black superhero have to do with a watchmaker from the Swiss forests? Go back to my example. You take a a, a comic book character who, like at the time. Um, nobody really knew what comic books would become, right? There were these, uh, you know, cheap little uh, printed on newsprint things that a lot of kids and maybe a few adults consumed. No one thought this was going to, you know, dominate the movies and in fact be a be sort of a, a key moment in, in Hollywood. Um, a, a billion dollar, um, all black cast practically, black director, um, you know, a lot of authenticity and the production and the production values and a ton of black pride coming from, I'm talking mm -hmm. about the first Black Panther movie with Chadwick Boseman, right? Mm -hmm. Great actor, great actors, excellent plot, Michael B. Jordan. I mean, you really couldn't ask for more uh, in a movie. And it, and it, and it, it shook Hollywood how well that movie did. I think, I think, you know, people were surprised at my school at USC, we do these counts. Like uh, I have, I have uh, colleagues who look at, uh, you know, representation uh, among different um, um, groups that have normally been uh, shut out of the production processes and 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 you know the the front end of of Hollywood and see how many you know black stars are there. now that's that seems to be changing you know just anecdotally it certainly looks like it um, but at the time that the Black Panther came out that was really a watershed moment when it started, when those ch changes started to happen. And I think, you know, the people sitting in offices realized we could do the right thing via representation and have financial success at the same time. That was a really a revelation. So, so taking this comic book character that was in these sort of, you know, pulp fiction-y kind of, of things that no one really knew at the time, taking the, you know, one of the earliest, if not, um, you know, certainly one of the best uh, black superheroes from uh, comic books, from, again, from the Fantastic Four, where, where the Silver Surfer came from, um, and elevating him to his own movie and to, you know, very important status in uh, uh, the Avengers movies. 
uh, and what they de- how they developed Wakanda as a this African nation, which was the most technologically advanced and sophisticated uh, nation on earth, and it's kind of a secret nation too. Um, and then you turn that mythology, that symbolism into a really beautiful watch, right? Mm. So you take that cultural power and that symbolism, and I, I don't know if our readers have seen it, but if you go to Audemars uh, Piguet's <laughs> website, I'm not saying it right, but but if you look at that watch, it's a beautiful purple and black uh, watch. It's carved, hand carved in white gold, um, incredible colors. So you've got this, you know, gorgeous collectible uh, item watch, and you add to it these uh, associations with fantasy and mythology. Black pride, popular culture, uh, Marvel superheroes, uh, history. Um, That's a powerful combination, right? Like you're not just making a watch then. You're symbolizing something, I think, very, very powerful. There's a message to that watch. And I think the message is relevant um, to people who in particular feel uh, that they resonate with the Black Panther character and, and and what he stands for, and and also who appreciate, you know, extremely fine craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. So don't belittle them by just saying they are a watchmaker from the Swiss forest. This is you know this is the height this is the height of watchmaking craftsmanship, right? This is artisanship on a very high level. Uh, and then when you combine that with the 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 symbolism of a very powerful cultural myth you get something, you know, really special. And I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that watch is something very special. So it's, uh, in your opinion, rather a tribute really to this beautiful character put into scene in a very beautiful piece of craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. If I play the devil's advocate here now, and uh, yeah. I already did it a little bit with the Swiss forest, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, couldn't one be a little bit cynical and find such a collaboration hypocritical. Mm. The idea behind here is my, my first reaction was, couldn't people perceive this as a luxury brand just capitalizing on art and pop culture to merely commercialize big societal issues for their own good? So I'm speaking about, as you said, Black mm-hmm. Pride. Um, mm-hmm equality uh, um, all these all these uh, values that these superheroes are fighting for fairness um, equality um, fighting for disadvantaged people this is so much in contrast to the idea of luxury which is rather elitist occlusionary um, it's all about segregation social stratification so how does that come together yeah well you know I mean I guess you could levy the same critique against uh the you know the two jewish boys from new york who came up with the black panther in the first place mm-hmm. right i mean mm-hmm. you think about black panthers this was a civil rights uh militant organization this was not a you know a a, a play friendly with the white folks uh, a comic book character originally mm-hmm. so i think it's a very big argument i think you you know you raise a lot of Interesting, powerful points, and of course, academics like to critique everything. We, you know, we like to poke holes in into everything. So I can certainly see it that way. I, you know, 
I also think that you could see it a different way. I'm going to suggest that what it indicates maybe more is uh, is a democratizing of luxury. Um, so you see Disney, for example, coming up with collaborations with Louis Vuitton and Gucci and mm -hmm. Kate Spade. And there's this new flexibility in terms of the brand. So so um, you know, who's the target for the watch? I mean, I, I have to wonder um, because it's not like there are no, um, you know, wealthy black people in this country. There are lots of them. There's a, you know, there are, there is a new elite uh, of, of very um, uh, economically privileged black people in this country. Uh, and, you know, we're not talking about uh, creating millions of these watches. It's for a very small group. Um, so, you know, who is... Who is this? Uh, who are these luxury goods for? Who's going to buy a Louis Vuitton purse with a with a thing of Minnie Mouse on it? Right? It's probably not for everybody. But if you've got the, you know the money and this is a, a character that means something to you, then why shouldn't you have the option to buy something with it on it? I just don't. I just don't see the issue. Um, mm. So for me, you know, there's all business has this veneer of morality and purpose around it right now, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's telling stories about how they stand for uh, equality, fairness, and help out, you know, disadvantaged people. This is just a very common way that capitalism communicates right now. So, uh, you know, oil companies do it. Uh, people who are knocking down the forest and, and, and killing animals do it. Um, why should luxury goods be any different? I would ask, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, everybody's using stories to sell their goods and there's stories of morality uh, and purpose and making the world a better place. So, you know, I, the last time I checked, you don't need to be a Patagonia to put a superhero on your clothing. Uh, I don't think we're claiming that because you wear um, th this watch that you yourself become a superhero. Is it not enough to appreciate uh, something of beauty, right? So you, you, you could have this watch or you could buy an original piece of of you know comic book art it's, they're around mm. the same they're around the same price so why would we make these companies play by different rules than everyone else plays with mm -hmm. of course you you put meaningful symbols onto your products they're a kind of brand right think about this as a co-branding yeah, proposition yeah. right rather than something that makes a promise about morality the brands are linked to morality maybe uh and if they inspire people to want to be more heroic in their lives. And I would even say maybe they're releasing some net positive into the world. Okay, so I have um, I have another area that I'm very yeah. interested in. And mm -hmm. I think that's also your topic. It's the gaming mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Um, where also the luxury fashion world is more and more um, present. So for example, Valentino, Marc Jacobs designing outfits for Nintendo Animal Crossing or Balenciaga mm -hmm. teaming up with Afterworld for yeah. their fall winter collection in 2021. Mm -hmm. Louis Vuitton collaborating with League, League of Leg Legends for League fashionable Legends, character yeah. skins. Mm -hmm. So why is this gaming context so attractive for luxury brands? Are there any commonalities between those worlds? Or is it just, again, being rich and playful? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think it's about being relevant, right? You know, being relevant to people. So again, games... Just like comic books and, you know, science fiction and TV shows, these are fantasy worlds that we inhabit increasingly, right? So I was, you know, part of a generation that grew up on video games and video games create 
you know, meaningful context for us. They're context, again, just like the Black Panther watch in which we can be heroic. But in this case, I think video games are built more for team play in a lot of ways, to be team players, mm -hmm. to, to learn rules that help us in real life. So I don't know if you've seen the book by Jane McGonigal, Reality is Broken. It's a, from a few years ago now, but I think it's, it's a, just a great book. And, and, you know, Jane McGonigal teaches us that video games fulfill a variety of genuine human needs, which explains why they're so popular and, you know, why the, the average video game player spends about, about, you know, three weeks every year straight, 500 hours a year playing, playing video games. That's the average. There are people who spend a, a lot of, a lot more time. So sure, just like in luxury, there are winners and losers. There are pots of gold and power-ups and potions that you win. But, you know, I would emphasize the, the journeying part of it, right? These are, are relevant stories for today. Uh, and, you know, and, and movies, uh, popular culture and, and, and movies and conversation and meaning from, come from things like Tomb Raider and Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat. These all came from, from video games. So this is a, just another form of popular culture. It's, a, it's another face of, of mass culture that I think, you know, uh, luxury companies are, are playing around with. Let's face it. These guys have a lot of money mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, how many, how many operas can you sponsor before you're just terribly bored of it? They're probably not going to put themselves on the side of a car in NASCAR. So, so what are they going to do? Well, they're trying to find interesting stories to insert themselves into and work with. And I think, you know, really the, you know, the Asian companies were, were ahead of certainly the European companies in this. They, they were doing it. They've been doing this for a while. And the collaboration, for example, um, between Mac uh, and and uh, Tencent in video game characters it shows that there's enormous potential, enormous success for these guys. These guys are clearly watching what happens in global markets, and they're seeing that there's you know there's a lot of of opportunity and a lot of overlap. So I think you know games are games with that competitive aspect, but also they're interactive stories that that unfold in a particular format. Esports are kind of the future of sports, mm -hmm. and we're all talking about the metaverse now, Feli. So, you know, at some point, you might be, you know, the idea of buying a digital skin or a digital purse for your digital avatar. Well, if, once we're all, in, you know, locked into the matrix uh, and unable to leave home because of, you know, the latest deadly variant <laughs> or who knows what, <laughs> we're, we're all just going to be around with our, you know, $1,000 uh, Gucci skin purses in our or whatever they are. I'll be wearing my uh, finally be wearing a Black Panther watch on my wrist because I can afford a digital version of it. So, yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. um, you just said you grew up as a gamer when you were mm -hmm. young. Thinking about mm -hmm. this hardcore gamer community, I also think mm -hmm. about the guys. I've never been into gaming and to that mm -hmm. degree, but I, mm -hmm. I have a totally different image of the hardcore gamer than of the luxury fashion victim. So. It, mm -hmm. How do these people react, the gamers? Like, do they, again, think that they've been appropriated or even deprived of their subculture? Or is there by itself a rich gamer community? Yeah, I don't, you know, I really, I don't know what their reactions are. I can speculate. But I think most of these things are targeted. My, my, my sense is that a lot of them are targeted at women. And it's a, you know, the, the male gaming hardcore gaming community is a very male community, <laughs> almost sort of um, 
you know, famously misogynist male gaming community. Uh, and I think they would laugh at a collaboration between a gamer and Louis Vuitton, for instance, and, and, and think of it as wasteful. But, you know, things are changing. Um, they're a very particular crowd. I don't know if you watch any of the, you know, the Twitch uh, gaming uh, influencers like PewDiePie, for example. But, mm -hmm. And he's also on YouTube, obviously. But there's an online, you know, cool. There's a geek chic to it. And I could see someone like PewDiePie, uh, you know, maybe maybe getting into it at some point and then people mocking them and then mm -hmm. him defending it or making fun of it. Um, but, you know, I think I really think this is about imaginative ideas. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not necessarily hardcore comic fans that are going to buy the Black Panther watch. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's people who are you know into beautiful things that also uh, appreciate you know, uh, fascinating mythology and stories that come from popular culture. Um, you know, uh, I could see an NBA player like LeBron James, for example, by buying that watch because it's, uh -huh. it's super rare and beautiful and it, it signals something powerful about, about yeah. having made it. Um, so I think the same thing is true of, of these video game collaborations. They're not necessarily for gamers or hardcore gamers. Therefore, uh, you know, people who, value these high-end items and can afford them clearly mm -hmm. uh, and also have a link to popular culture again i'm going to go back to where i started with talking about mass culture and popular culture and silver server it's about relevance right mm -hmm. that story means something to me and if if there was a really beautiful something luxury good i don't you know i don't know what it was let's say a watch made with the silver surfer image on it you know i might somehow find Find you the money, or beg, beg, <laughs> borrow, and steal to have something like that because because that symbol means so much to me, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so uh, that would sort of get me out of my my comfort zone in terms of uh, you know purchasing something something like that because of my affiliation with the character. On the other end, there's someone who wants a beautiful watch, and then they see this particular you know limited edition uh, 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 you know once in a lifetime. Uh, opportunity to get a character on it. And and I think that, you know, th they would be interested in that as well. Mm -hmm. So again, with luxury, you're not talking about large quantities. I mean, how many, how many of those watches did they produce? Do you remember? Uh, I think, uh, I think 250. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so and all of them were sold like right away. Yeah. Instantly. So it's tight, you know, it's tiny numbers. So if you're doing this, you don't have to, um, sell to the masses to be successful, mm. right? They're using mass culture to appeal to the elite who find those images relevant, right? Does that make, does that make sense? Absolutely. It's a small, a small number of people having a strong, you know, affiliation with that image. Mm. I even think it's the epitome of luxury if you pay a lot of money for stuff that finally doesn't exist when it's really something which is only available in the game context. Right. <laughs> think right. of it. <laughs> right. It, it does. It makes it more rare, right? It makes it yeah. more rare because they're limited. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and you're talking about in the metaverse. And we all seem to be headed there. So, you know, I think all of these forays into video games and even video games themselves. I think we'll all be at some point consolidated into something much larger, right? You know, the metaverse in which comes from you know Neil Stevenson's uh, science fiction novel mm. Snow Crashes. It's it you know it's it's not just games. It's games. It's social media. It's shopping malls. It's Facebook Live. It's you know all of these things. It's entertainment. 
all of it combined, right? So we have sort of, you know, all of this is, is in one interactive environment. You know, The Sims, if you go to this, I don't know if you remember The Sims when it came yeah, out, but yeah. if, you, if you go to The Sims now, it's like Second Life was, <laughs> but with Sims stuff in it, it's it's a vast universe of stuff, just like uh, Second Life has been growing too. So all of these things are sort of predecessors of of an interactive environment that it seems like we're being moved into by, you know, large, important technology players like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. So it's interesting times ahead, I think. And uh, companies that are not experimenting in these spaces are going to be left out. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's just smart business for luxury companies and every company to be figuring out what they're going to be doing. Maybe to to uh, come back a little bit more to a more yeah. um, commonplace um, pop culture phenomenon um, that is that is already very vast, uh, which is Netflix uh, addiction. <laughs> so oh. a lot of luxury brands uh, take also inspiration from Netflix series. For example, um, yeah. last year Louis Vuitton appointed Hyo Yeon Jung, the star of the Netflix show Squid Game, as an ambassador of their maison. Um, just thinking about. Uh-huh. Squid Game, very special series. Isn't that uh, kind of risky to link such a dream brand like Louis Vuitton to a dystopian setting like this one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, it really makes me wonder whether the marketing department and the executives at Louis Vuitton <laughs> have actually watched Squid Game, you know? I mean, it's it's a miserable show. I loved it, but it's a miserable show. I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, what I've read about that connection um, yeah, I'm sorry to say, but I think it's it's very superficial. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they counted how many how many teal sweatshirts and numbered t-shirts were sold, you know, and the and the the increase in demand for slip-on white sneakers. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, these guys are wearing numbers and teal suits and shoes because they're prisoners. Uh you need to understand uh the 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 properties, the content of these media properties and really uh, become a part of it, to swim in it and not just exploit it from the outside and you know turn it into stuff that you can sell. Who knows mm-hmm. why people were buying tra- those tracksuits and numbered shirts? I mean, maybe this was all people who had social media accounts and, and they were you know pretending to be characters because it was kind of gimmicky and cool and current. That's what I suspect. That's why there were jumps in that. It's not that people, you know, all of a sudden everybody wanted to wear a teal sweatshirt. It's kind of almost like a Halloween costume kind of idea. So you have to understand the context in which things are being being used and being understood. What does the Squid Game represent? I mean, it really represented kind of this anti-capitalist statement. And mm-hmm. to turn that into luxury goods, <laughs> I think yeah. your question is right. It's kind of, I mean, the connection with the ambassador, she's, she's you know, she's a very attractive woman. And, and I, I guess that's always something that's, uh, you know, um, okay to put put you you know to associate with your brand but the show itself squid game that's really questionable yeah and uh, there's even one more aspect to the squid game that i wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. because it's uh, not only a very uh, successful netflix series but on top it is korean pop culture yeah yeah <laughs> and this korean pop culture mm-hmm. like k-drama like the squid game or k-pop bands like bts yeah. They seem to be the new darlings of Louis Vuitton. Uh, so mm-hmm. <laughs> what does mm-hmm. Korean pop culture have to offer for a French luxury brand or Western consumer culture? Is that, again, something they just see the numbers and they hop on it? Or is there anything more to it? Well, there's a lot more to it. I mean, you know, Asia 
is a is a huge market, and it's also a huge source of innovation. Uh, you know, I, I recently completed a, a study of um, uh, Chinese uh, cosmetics brands, and K Beauty and K Glamour were certainly uh, a part of, of of that study. And we found the most innovative stuff coming not from Europe or the United States, but from Asia. I mean, they're, they are the, they are the uh, you know, the ones who are really ex experimenting and coming up with things like, you know, products for, uh, to deal with pollution, uh, to put, a, you know, protection into, into skin care uh, mm -hmm. and, and into cosmetics. Um, I think, you know, the world has really changed and the world is hungry for what's new and high quality and, and interesting. And a lot of that is already coming from, Asia, you know, when when I was going through business school, everyone was was look, already looking at Japan, um, and Japan is still a, a huge source of of innovation and interesting things. But so is Korea, and so is China. Um, the sociologist uh, Colin Campbell, who I really like, has a has a, a great book came out, I think probably over over fifteen years ago now, called "The Easternization of the West." And he tracks how Eastern culture has been influencing Western culture for the last century in things like theology and political thought and science. Mm -hmm. And in, you know, think about it now, increasingly in art too, with artists like Ai Weiwei being household names. So it's not new that culture from the East gets carried uh, through the West and becomes meaningful. And, and think about the influence of Japan on developing robots and companion robots. Mm. Um, so I'm a big Japanese culture fan, but I, you know, I understand and appreciate Korean culture right now. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge uh, and very meaningful force. So this isn't, you know, this isn't going to change. This is only the, you know, this is the new reality uh, that we live in. And I, I actually think it's a very good thing. I, I, mm -hmm. I hope we move more and more towards appreciating all kinds of global culture. I think mm -hmm. we are a global culture, and if we're ever going to you know, do anything positive for the future, we're going to need to recognize that we're all uh, you know, brothers and sisters on this on this one little world, and that all of these elements of culture are to be appreciated and need to work together a lot better, as this pandemic shows us, and as mm -hmm. the, the looming climate emergency shows us. So I know your question didn't ask about that, but I will say, you know, in answer to your question about what Korean culture has to offer the Western uh, consumer world and Western luxury brands, it's the same answer as what all these different cultures have to offer all of us, I think. And that's, you know, an appreciation for our differences and, and uh, you know, uh, a, a joy that we can take in sharing each other's stories. I have one more question for you because yeah, you're sitting sure. in the epicenter of the movie industry. Oh, yeah. um, now I'm, uh, I'm turning the table around and um, mm -hmm. ask you what uh, brings luxury fashion to movie makers. Uh, there are these movies like, well, latest The House of Gucci, but there's yeah. also The Assassination of Gianni Versace as a Netflix mm -hmm. series or Halston. So all these luxury houses bringing content or stories to movie makers why are people interested in these stories yeah. is there anything interesting yeah well you know i like the the recent uh, disney movie cruella right which had mm -hmm. the, the two emmas emma stone and emma thompson facing mm -hmm. off against each other it was worth watching just for that look you know i think again there's this theme running through a lot of my answers to you which is that that people are interested in great stories You know, and just like a story about the leader of a technology company like Steve Jobs would fascinate us or a story of a race car driver or an astronaut or a successful uh, politician 
can be fascinating. The story of these fashion icons like Versace and Gucci and Halston and fictional characters too, like Cruella DeVille. And I, you know, I like um, Meryl Streep's character. What was her name? Uh, Miranda Priestley in The Devil Wears Prada, right? It's, this is a long history of these, you know, characters and settings. So who wouldn't like this as a setting for storytelling, right? You know, it's got, you've got, uh, you know, elites and fashion and beautiful people and big money and high-end everything and status, you know, um, you know, what's not to like about telling these kinds of stories. So of course there's, there's an appeal to it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're always looking up, uh, in mass culture too, right. To, to elites and to the successful, uh, to, to the, you know, the, the fascinating and the artistic and the driven. So whether it's, you know, Versace or, 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 you know, whether it's uh, Andy Warhol or Vincent van Gogh, um, these are, these are great designers and artists and, and visionaries. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the theme here, and again, a lot of what I'm saying is about the, the mythic quality that's in these mm. stories right that the, the values and the ideologies in these particular narratives are so are so powerful and so fascinating to us and it's not just about luxury products i mean i've built a career um i think from the very beginning talking about the role of stories and storytelling in branding and marketing and markets and consumption people want to find meaning and purpose and to understand their values and their identity and one of the ways that they do that is through their relationships with the commercial world increasingly we turn to commercial stories uh and and you know uh mythological tales like disney movies and comic books to get our sense of morality and identity you know religion isn't as relevant to people as it was before that i don't think i'm saying anything very controversial there it's still relevant to a lot of people and obviously uh you know spiritual messages and biblical messages are among the strongest and most powerful ways that we get a sense of who we are and our morality and who we are in the world. But there are other stories too that are in wide circulation because we live in this, this mass culture with so many stories and we pick and choose among them and, and create our identities from them. The fact that luxury companies and other companies hook onto that is only natural because you know people are hungry for that. Thank you, Rob, for this fantastic exciting analysis it's really such a pleasure to see how much you can put meaning into our everyday culture that we have around ourselves and as we just mentioned at the beginning you have this alien view as an anthropologist mm. have a wonderful you, day you Au too bye-bye thank you for listening to luxury on air with kareen sagetti and felicitas morhart This podcast is provided to you by Deloitte Switzerland and the Swiss Center for Luxury Research. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can leave us a five-star review. If you're keen to stay up to date on what's trending in the luxury industry, don't forget to subscribe. As always, you can find more information about the current episode in the show notes. We wish you all the best. Until next time.